Sorry, maybe I shouldn't have said that, but, you know, it was pretty funny, actually. <laughs> for taco time any day, I will pay for that any time. I did enjoy it. We've had such a great time here. Thank you for being a, just a good church, and I'm thankful for the family that is here, the church family. I'm thankful for your spirit, your energy, and your willingness. Uh, you know, it's not lost on this pastor that you're out here on a Tuesday night. And, uh, and I know that shouldn't be too much to ask for a disciple, um, but you've got stuff to do, and you've got busy lives, and you've been working, and uh, probably some of you gave something up to be here tonight, and that's not lost on me. I just want to say, praise the Lord that you made that decision as a family. And that, that means that there's a lot of families at West Valley um, who made a decision a long time ago that any time the church is meeting, we're going to be there. And uh, that's, a, that's an important decision to make, and I'm thankful uh, that you've made it and that you're here tonight. I think God will bless you. Uh, he does say, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So all the things on the peripheral um, are yours to claim um, if you put God first, and uh, he'll bless you for that. And I want to point out to these young guys down here, the, the teenagers, um, you know, this is a good lesson for you. Because you're going to be tempted as you grow older um, for other things to become more important than God's house. Because that's the way it is for just about everybody. But I'm telling you, God will bless you if you keep his house first. So when you become an adult, do what your parents have done and come to meetings like this. And God will bless you for it. And I'm looking forward to the message tonight. Um, I am... Uh, we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 6. I don't want to spend too much time in, um, in the opening remarks here uh, tonight. I know it's, again, a Tuesday night and you're busy. Um, but this is a message that really started burning in me recently, like recently as in last night. And, uh, and so, I don't know, I just couldn't get away from this text. And I, and I had not preached it before, um, but, but I, I mean, I've heard this preached before, and so that probably helped a little bit. But I, I have some thoughts here, and... And it was burning. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to preach this out of 2 Kings chapter 6 because it's on my heart. Um, and so have you ever lost something of value and you'd do anything to get it back? Have you? Uh, I, re I remember when I was uh, probably, it was probably 2012 and uh, I think Caitlin was about five or six years old. And I went to Montreal, Canada, traveled there to, uh, to sing at a meeting with the group that I was in and um, and we were, we were ministering at this men's retreat, and, and the church, the host pastor, took us to a restaurant there, and if you've ever been to Montreal, it's like you're in Paris. I mean, everything's in French, the signs are in French, and, and, it's, and it really does feel like it's a unique place, and it's just over the border um, from the United States. But, but we, were, we were there, and, and, uh, and I had a video camera back then, these things called video cameras. I don't know if you've ever seen one. Uh, it's small enough to carry in your pocket and a phone now, but, but back then you had a little pouch and a little bag and wasn't quite as feminine as a flower tie, but, you know, it was like a little purse that you would carry around and, and uh, sorry, how did you go there? Okay, so, but I remember we went to a restaurant and I had this video camera and I set it on the back of the chair. And when we got up to leave, I didn't think about the camera, so we left and went back to the church and literally on the way back I said, oh no, I left my camera there, and, we, and so we dropped everybody back off, and one of the guys took me back over to the restaurant. This was literally 15 minutes, maybe 15 minutes later. We walked in the restaurant. 
went to the place we were sitting. It wasn't there. We asked the wait staff um, if they had seen it. Nobody had seen it. And in that amount of time, somebody had walked off with that camera. And it may not seem like a big deal, except in my procrastination, back then backing things up wasn't really a thing. There was like no cameras att attached to iCloud. It didn't do it automatically. You had to actually plug your camera into a computer if you had the right cable. And, you know, you had to let the, the squirrels, you know, get the wheels moving enough to get things going. And I just didn't think about it. And I never backed it up. And on that camera were probably five years of family memories. And so, you know, I, I remember distinctly when Caitlin was about two years old, she learned all the books of the Bible, and, and she, she was quoting the books of the Bible, and, and I, I mean, it was just a precious memory, and I thought, I'll never get that back. That's probably happened to you. It's not the end of the world, but it just hurts. And when you, when you lose something that's that valuable, you would do anything to get it back, well, this story is about somebody that lost something valuable and would have done anything to get it back. And it really represents something in our lives that we need to pay attention to because it's very possible in our lives to lose the power of the Lord and not even realize it's gone and get to a place that we would do anything to get it back. And this story is a help, I think, tonight That'll be a help to us as we think about that. Let's stand and read 2 Kings chapter 6. It says in verse 1, And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. So this is a, think about a Bible college. This is a Bible college. It's, it's young men training with Elisha to serve God. It's the the purpose of religious uh, activity, religious training. They're learning the law. They're carrying on the legacy of God's prophets like Samuel and Elijah and Elisha. These young men have dedicated their lives to God. And there's this school of prophets, these young men that are training for God's work. And, and apparently the place where they lived was too small. And they were, they, were, they were outgrowing it. And so they get this idea that they want to build something bigger. And they come to Elisha in, in verse 2. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make us a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. He thinks it's a good idea. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. Come with us. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down wood. I like how they just get to work. But as one was felling a beam, the axe had fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place. And he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. It's a miracle. Therefore said he, take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and took it. And tonight I just want to simply go through this text and consider this question. Have you lost your spiritual edge? Have you lost it? Because I'm telling you, there's no video camera. There's no, there's no uh, possession on earth that can touch your spiritual edge in terms of importance for you. 
There's nothing you can hold in your hands that's more important than God's power in your life. And yet many, many people have lost that. And they don't seem to be too bothered about the fact. Have you lost your spiritual edge? Let's pray. Father, I, I pray that you bless our time. And I'm so thankful to be here and the privilege to preach God's word. Lord, I couldn't, I couldn't state it enough. It's, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to stand before these people. Uh, I know they hear great preaching all the time. I pray that you would help this, this night, this, uh, the Holy Spirit, Lord, that he would move and illuminate the text and work in our hearts. God, we cannot do this without you. We need your help so desperately, Lord. And I pray that you would meet us here in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, these sons of the prophets, the school of the prophets, they come to Elijah with this request that they want something bigger. They, they want a bigger place for them to live. And, and this is a good sign, really, because it meant that there were young men that wanted to be trained in the ministry. These, there were more coming, and they were outgrowing their, their building, their facility. Second, it was a great sign because it shows that they had initiative. It wasn't Elisha coming up with the idea. These young men were coming up with the idea. I love young men with initiative. By the way, men, uh, young men, when you see something going on at church, don't wait for an adult to come and ask you to help with it. Show initiative and say, you know what? They're cleaning up after a fellowship, and I'm not going to stand in the corner with my friends and watch. I'm going to jump in and move tables. I'm going to move some chairs. I'm going to be involved in a work day. There's something about young people that show initiative. These young men had a desire to move forward for God. They weren't content to just get by with what they already had. They wanted something more. They wanted something bigger. And we would all, we should all want something bigger when it comes to serving the Lord. Uh, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to have big dreams about what God wants to do with your life. Don't be afraid about to have big dreams about what God wants to do with your Sunday school class. It's okay to have big dreams. It's okay to have a vision for where you want God to use you and how you want him to use you. Because we have far too many people that, that just like where they are and they settle there. We're settlers. We like where we are. We're, we, don't, we don't really see a need to move forward. But the sons of the prophets, they weren't that way. Uh, they even have a plan. Okay, they've already fought through it, okay? In verse 2, they come and they say, Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and, and let us make us a place there and where we may dwell. So they come and they've already got a plan. They, they say, Let us go down to the Jordan, let's cut down some, some trees, and then we'll build a new dormitory for us. And Elisha likes the idea. He says, Go ye. And listen, by the way, if you have plans to do something big for God, Go, go through the proper channels of authority. You know, it's a good thing to have initiative, and it's a good thing that, that you want to move forward, and more people need to take ownership of their ministry. But when you do, make sure you don't go rogue. You know, make sure you, you operate through the proper channels of authority that God has placed over you, because there will be things that you don't think about that your pastor has thought about. And so make sure that you, you operate through that, and God will bless it more. Okay, verse 3, it says, And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. They said, You know, we don't just want to go by ourselves, Elisha. We want you to go with us. And it says something about young men that want to spend time around their spiritual authorities. 
I'm telling you, when, when Brother Jonathan and I, we worked on staff together on brother, under Brother Wayne Hardy, and he's been here. He's a blessing. We, I, we love him. He was, he was a mentor for both of us. When I was a young man, listen, when I was a young man, if there was anything he was doing, I wanted to be everywhere he went. If he was going on a trip, I wanted to go. If he was going to Oklahoma City and running an errand, I would go with him. I'm telling you, I wanted to be around him. Young men, the men in your life that are your mentors and spiritual authorities, young ladies, it's the same thing for you. Surround yourself. Listen, sometimes it's good for young people not to just surround themselves with peers all the time. Surround yourself with some people that have some wisdom to them. I'm telling you, it'll be a help to you. These young men, they said, Elisha, we want you to go with us. And he says, okay, I'll go with you. So they get there, and verse 4, I love what happens. So he went with them, the Bible says, and when they came to Jordan, guess what? They didn't rest. They didn't stop and eat. They didn't eat a snack. The Bible says they cut down wood. I love that. They get where they're going, and they just start doing their work. They've got zeal. They've got passion. They've got energy. A good Bible word is gumption. Okay, it's not really a Bible word, but I wish it was. Gumption. They get there, and they've got some gumption. They don't waste any time. I like zeal in God's work. I like it when people are excited about God. Listen, when I walk in here tonight, and there's a buzz of energy. That's fun to hear. It's fun to see you interact. It's fun to hear it. And listen, I, I like some energy in a church service. I like energy among God's people. I like zeal when it comes to work. It's a blessing when people are excited about what God is doing with them. I remember one time my wife and I went to a wedding. We were, we, we were staying in a wedding. And we went down to <coughs> travel a couple hours away to this little country church. And there's something about country churches, you know, the people just good old down-home people. And it was in Oklahoma, so, you know, a couple of them even had teeth. It was great. We, so we, we went down, so we went to this country church, and it was just fun to see them interact. And they had zeal about everything. They were excited about everything. And so after the wedding was over, um, well, before the wedding, I actually, um, there was a group of guys that, that knew that the platform needed to be taken down for the wedding. And, and so they were kind of taking things down and moving things around. And, and we, I was watching this take place. And I was, I was a music director for a long time. And, and uh, you know, I, I was over the sound at our church. So, you know, so that's part, that was part of my ministry and what I oversaw. And so I was in the back and, and I was watching these, these country guys, these country boys, and you don't have well, corded mics, you've got wireless mics, but they pull up the box for the microphones, and the, the microphone jacks plug into that box. You know what I'm talking about. Um, and, and they were looking at that, trying to figure out how to get it out. And you know what they did? They, they, they didn't go Google. They didn't go ask somebody. They're just, they, they had gumption. So they grabbed the cord of that microphone put a foot up just against the, the, the side of the platform and just started to pull as hard as they could. And they did that to all four microphone jacks. Just pulled everything right out of that box, tore it all up. You know, and you say, well, why didn't you stop them? Is that because they had guns and stuff and I didn't want to tell them what to do? <laughs> you know, they, they literally tore it up because of zeal. 
and gumption. You know, sometimes zeal gets us in trouble. But listen, I'd rather have one guy with zeal than 10 guys that sit around and just talk about stuff. And these young men, they had zeal. They were excited for the work. They wanted to get involved. They wanted to do something for God. They get where they're going, and they just start cutting down wood. It reminds me of when we lived in Oklahoma, and we had seven acres in Oklahoma, there in Oklahoma, and full of trees, the piles, they'd come out. We'd do bonfires on Thursday nights, and that was the ghost story thing. You know, it was just a blast. But, I, but on Fridays, which is our day off there, uh, I would, I, I'd get my chainsaw ready to go, and, and, I would, and this is the way I describe it. I would literally just get it ready to go and walk around on the property, and I'd cut down any tree that looked at me funny. That's what I did on Fridays. Put it in a pile and burn it, and man, it was just fun work. It's nice to be around people that have zeal for the work like these young men. And, and they, they were just excited. And listen, maybe that's, that describes your Christian life at one point. And when you started, it was all zeal. It was all passion. It was all energy. It was all gumption. And you came out swinging that axe. You had big plans for God. You wanted something even bigger, and you had an axe, and you, you, there were trees, and you were ready to go. But maybe verse 5 happened to you. Look at it. But as one was felling a beam, the axe had fell into the water. You know what he did? He lost his edge. He lost the tool that was helping him complete his job, that, that was required to complete his job. It flew off. If you can just imagine, he's chopping the tree, and in one chop, this swing of the axe, the axe head goes flying into the water. And you know, this can happen to us in that we come out swinging, we're excited, we're full of zeal, and we're getting into it. And there are times that we can look up, though, and realize Wow, I lost my edge. I've lost the tool that's supposed to help me get the job done. When you lose your axe head, you can beat on a tree with that handle all day long, and you're not going to take it down. And sometimes in the Christian life, we lose our edge, and it feels like we're just going through the motions. You know what I'm saying? Where, where you just, you know, you've got your, your, you've got your axe handle... And you're swinging away. And you're trying to get the tree down. And you're chopping. And you're chopping. And you're chopping. And nothing's happening to the tree. You ever felt that way before? In your spiritual life where you're going through the motions and you're trying as hard as you could. And you're trying to get something done for God. And you're just, nothing's happening. Well, that, this is what happens when when we're busy and suddenly realize our walk with God is empty. You know, this is what, what happens when there's activity but no spirituality, when there's motion of body but there's no progress, when there's movement but God's power's not with us anymore. And it, it's easy to get like the Revelation 3 Laodicean church in that we have the works, we have the works, and we're going through the motions but our hearts are not in it. You know, we're not hot or we're not cold. We're lukewarm. Does that describe you? You know, maybe you used to wake up excited about church. 
And maybe you used to be faithful in your daily devotions. Am I, am I the only one that, that, that feels like you can just chop and chop and chop and something's off and you didn't even realize it and it just feels like you're going through motions? I mean, it, it used to be that, that you'd get something out of your Bible reading. And it used to be that every line there was something like God was telling me something new and every page there's something new and you used to get pumped up about preparing your lesson for the third and fourth graders. You used to get excited about going out and finding new bus kids and you've been swinging away and and you were cutting down trees and the trees were coming down and things were moving along and big plans and you had good intentions for God. But one morning you woke up and you realized, man, I'm just beating the tree. And there's nothing happening. There's no progress. And it is at that point, listen, it's at that, man, this is... I like this. I might start preaching with this axe handle all the time. And especially with these guys up here up front, you know. I may just, yeah, there you go. That's right. (laughs) Just the flower ties. Okay. You know, we can keep swinging away. In this moment, listen, we can keep swinging away and look like we're making progress. Swinging away. Teaching a class. Singing in choir. You know, doing all the stuff you're supposed to do for God. But one morning you woke up and you realized, man, that, there's, that axe head's gone. We could just keep swinging away or we can do whatever it takes to get the axe head back. Listen, we all have this choice. Either swing away or get the axe head back. You see, what did the son of the prophet do? Well, I think his response gives us something to learn from here because number one you know what he did he cared that he lost it look at verse five look what he says to Elisha he says but as one was felling a beam the axe head fell into the water and he cried and said oh well no what does he say what tell me what does it say alas master alas now I looked up the word alas and the word alas is an expression of pain. So, I mean, if I was to walk up to one of these guys and hit him over the head with, with this axe handle, assuming they would feel it, they would say, you know, what they could say, that word, they could say, alas. Because it hurts. We ought, to just, we ought to just bring that back, you know. Let's just, like, let's, let's tick-tock that and just say, alas, like somebody getting hurt. Alas, 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 and just make it a thing, okay? And it gets started right here tonight, okay? Alas. You know, it's an expression of pain. In other words, here's the point I want to make, is this young man cared that he lost the axe head. He cared that it was missing. He cared that it was a loss, and he knew if he didn't find it. Listen, you say, well, why was he so worried? Well, the Bible says, for it was borrowed, and he knew if he lost the axe head and he couldn't find it, he had to replace it. And listen, he's a college student. He's got no money. And he's got no time to go swimming for the axe head. This alas came from the, the depths of his soul. This hurt him. He was bo- listen, he was bothered by the loss. And it ought to bother us 
that we're not where we used to be spiritually. It ought to just wreck us to know that last year on, on January or February 1st, last year, February 1, 2021, I was much closer to God. And that bothers me. That a year later I'm not where I used to be. That ought to bother you. I mean, far too many Christians are complacent about the fact that they don't, they've lost the edge. And they know something's off, but honestly, they're just kind of moving along. And there's no mark being left on the tree, and they're swinging away, but it doesn't really bother them. There are no trees being felled. There's no progress being made. But just like the Laodiceans in Revelation chapter 3, there's no hot or cold. There's no feeling at all. It's just complacency. And if there is a tinge of regret about it, they're not willing to do anything to change it. And listen, that can happen out there. Let that happen in other churches. Don't let it happen at West Valley Baptist Church. Don't be content that, that you're not where you used to be spiritually, but you're okay. Because a lot of times, our measurement for being okay is, well, I'm better than my neighbor. Listen, it doesn't take much to be better than your neighbor anymore. Young people, listen, it's, it, don't, don't grow content with the fact that you're better than the other guys in the youth group, youth group at least half of them. That, that it should bother you. That's not your measurement. Your measurement, no, is, no, am I like Jesus Christ? It's not about the people around me. It's not about where I used to be. It's about where I'm supposed to be. And it bothers me that I'm not there. See, listen, it's not even really just about where you are. It's about are you bothered about where you are? Does it hurt you? Is there a tinge of regret that you're not where you're supposed to be? And listen, this wasn't this young man's fault. It wasn't, but he was bothered by the loss. Somebody had loaned him an axe, and they loaned it to him in good faith. And listen, they, they expected it to be returned the way that they, they loaned it out to him. And that's a pretty good trait for young people too, by the way. You borrow something from somebody, you borrow a tool, you borrow something, it needs to be returned in better condition than how you got it. And if it's not, replace it. Uh, just, just a little free advice there. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a bummer to, to, to have something new and something nice and, and, and submit it to somebody else and it comes back, you know, in worse condition. You know, I'm thankful that this young man had this sense to know you don't return something worse than you found it. But listen, we say amen to that. But listen, let me tell you, everything you have is borrowed from God. Your body is God's. He bought you with a price. He died on a cross for you, and your body means everything about you. Your body is borrowed, but sometimes we don't really think about that, and we're not really concerned about the condition of our lives before God because we forget we're just stewards, and he owns us. Your time is borrowed. You know, your life is in his hands. Your time frame is something he has decided. Your talent is borrowed. Uh, these young ladies singing up here tonight, I love to hear them sing. And by the way, that offertory tonight was awesome. The offertories this week have been great. I love to hear a good piano offertory like that. And listen, though, any talent you have, God gave it to you. You didn't earn it. It's borrowed. You're a steward. 
So in other words, my, my point tonight is this, about this, this, this point here, is don't assume that it's okay if you've got something borrowed that you can just, you know, not maximize it, to not do your best with it, or to turn it in in worse condition than you found it. Your treasure is borrowed. You know, your resources are borrowed. We treat our resources like they're ours to do whatever we want with them, but they belong to the Lord too. I mean, knowing that everything that we have is borrowed, knowing that we are bought with a price by Jesus Christ, that he owns the title to our lives, it ought to bother us that we sit on what we have without maximizing it when someday we are going to stand before the one who bought us and he's going to ask, what did you do with what I borrowed, loaned you? Don't sit on those things. Be willing to invest and use and maximize them for God. And here's why, because we're just stewards. And everything we have, we got from God. We'll be asked one day when we stand before him why we did or didn't do what we did. We'll be asked why the, if the works were for us or for Christ. So I'm just saying today, make something of your life for God. Maximize what you've been given. Uh, Brother Nate, listen, God's given you ability to in music. And I didn't know you were arranging those songs. And it's, it's awesome. We got a, mu- a resonant music nerd right here at West Valley Baptist Church. Embrace the nerddom, okay? Because not many people, I'm just telling you, you're blessed. Not many people can do what Brother Nathan does. Maximize it. I'm telling you, God's going to use that. And I could go around the room and talk about all the talents that you have. Brother Robbie, your talent for picking out ties is incredible, impeccable. Like, maximize that for God. That's the only one I could think of maximize it. You know, God has given you your body. He's given you time. He's given you treasures. He's given you everything that you have, your talent. Use it for him. Let it bother you that you're not maximizing what God has given you. Are you bothered? Are you bothered that you've lost your edge? Does it bother you that six months ago your Bible reading was rich and now it's not? Does it bother you that you used to be sensitive to the Lord and when messages were preached and you, he, he pricked your heart and you were convicted, but you, know, you haven't really felt compelled to respond in a couple of months? Does it bother you? Does it bother you that you're okay when, when you miss a service and it used to bother you, but it doesn't anymore? Does it bother you that you're not bothered? We need to ask ourselves that question because this young man had the sense to say, alas, It hurts that I've lost this. The second thing he does, so it bothered him that he lost it, but the second thing is he seeks help to get it back. He says, alas, master. See, he was willing to get counsel. He went to Elijah in despair. The man of God was his first stop. I like the fact that he didn't post a picture of his empty axe handle on Facebook first. I like the fact that he went to the man of God. He went to the resource through which he knew he would hear from God about what to do next. And we ought to be careful not to seek other resources for help, but go to the place where where God can give us some help right off. Let this be your first stop. Well, this young man sought his authority, and, and I'm not saying every little thing means call your pastor. I mean, your pastor, listen, your pastor loves you, and, and he's one of the best listeners and helpers I've ever been around. 
Be thankful that you have a pro, an approachable and willing master, but, uh, pastor, not master, ma, pastor, master, pastor. Don't call him that. Okay. Amen. First amen of the week. No, I'm just kidding. No, biblically speaking, his primary responsibility is the word of God in prayer. You know, that's what he'll stand before God and answer for someday. So, listen, if you want him to maximize his time, if you want him to make the best use of the resources and the time and the position God has given him, here's what you do if you want to help him out. Be at every service and engage your mind and heart to every truth that is preached from this pulpit. Because a lot of times what happens is church members that need the most counseling miss the most services. If you want to maximize the time of your pastor, consider that his job, according to Acts, his job is to be in the word and prayer. And I'm not saying there's never a time to counsel because he's, he's a willing listener and he wants to be a help to you. But I wonder how many hours of counseling in churches all over the place could be avoided if God's people would just come to services and say, God, speak to me. I don't want to just sit here. Help him to make good use of his time. And listen, on the flip side, this young man had a problem he couldn't fix without help. He had an accent that is gone, and this is above his pay grade, and he needed the Lord's help with this, and he needed the man of God, and I'm thankful he went to his authority rather than trying to figure it out on his own. And the lesson that we can learn is he was willing to humble himself for help. And God has put people, and I want you to get this, God has put people in your life to help you with your things that you need to work through. When you're at a loss and you don't know what to do and you've lost your edge, there are people at West Valley, and not just your pastor or your pastor's wife, there are people here that are mature and love God and have served Him for a long time, and they can be a help to you if you just humble yourself and seek some help from somebody. Our problem is we're not usually humble enough to ask for help. And then when we do ask for help, if you're going to ask your pastor for help or a friend for help or a mature Christian, a mature lady, ladies, if you're going to ask a mature lady for help, then whatever counsel they give you, follow it. It happens too often that people ask for advice and then they don't take it. And they kind of go do their own thing. You ask for advice. Follow it. Humble yourself. Be willing to listen. And don't get defensive. Don't get upset. Be willing to accept the truth about yourself. So if someone, uh, if my axe handle is falling over here, okay? If someone that says, that loves you, listen, if they say you've lost your edge, there's something off. Don't get all, don't get all huffy and Drop your axe handle like this all day. No, listen, that we do that, don't we? I, that was on purpose. I wanted to be down here. So we do that. I wanted to connect for a minute. You know, we, we get defensive. You know, there should be at least two people in your life in this church right here that you say you have permission anytime you want, that you see something in my life that I need to fix or that you're concerned about. You have permission to come to me and say something to me about it, and I won't be defensive. Every member of West Valley Baptist Church ought to have a couple of people that you trust to be your counselors and to look out for you and to keep you accountable for things. And rather than huff and puff, then examine yourself. 
and be willing to listen to them. Be humble and be open to the help. This young man was, look at verse 6. It says, and the man of God said, where fell it? And he showed him the place. You know, his master asked where he was when, uh, and he was willing to show him. If you want to get back what you've lost, you need to be willing to go back to where you had it last. And if there was a time, listen, if there was a time that you were closer to God, if there was a time that you had more joy, if there was a time that you had more contentment and more peace and you were in a better place spiritually, think about what has changed since then and be willing to be open and honest about what has changed. It's like the old couple, you've heard this probably, you know, back when bench seats were a thing and vehicles and, and, and there's old couple, this, they were riding along one day and, and she was in the passenger seat and he's in the driver's seat and she looked over at him and she said, uh, honey, remember when we first got married and I used to just sit right up next to you and we'd snuggle and drive down the road. Sounds dangerous. But we used to just sit so close together, what happened? And the man looked at his wife and he said, I haven't moved. You know, sometimes we think about that. We, we think, well, what happened? I don't know what happened. You know, things just aren't the way they used to be. But I'm just telling you this today. God's not the one that moved. He hasn't changed. This book isn't any, it, it, this book is not different. The preaching and the teaching, it hasn't veered off. Listen, you've had some amazing pastors Pastors, Pastor Hetzer, that guy, I mean, I, he's one of my favorite preachers of all time. I love to hear him preach. But listen, God brought you a man that can preach too and teach, and he's got a heart for you. And listen, I'm telling you, you've, you've been stewards of good preaching for a long time. That hasn't changed at West Valley Baptist Church. And if, if you've lost your fire, and if you're not where you're supposed to be, it's not because everything around you moved. It's because something in your life has changed. Accept help. If you've lost your edge and someone tries to help you, be honest. You can't truly be helped unless you're honest. Be open. Ask for help. Be honest about what your, what your issues are or where you've veered off. Get your pastor involved. Get a mature person involved. Some faithful church member, a deacon or trustee, or some lady in the church that you trust, and just ask them to help you walk you through it. We're not meant to do those things alone. This young man, this young man was willing to get help. But number three, trusting God's provision to get the axe head back. And he said, well, what does that mean? Well, look at verse six. And the man of God said, where fell it? And he showed him the place. And he cut down a stick and cast it in thither. And the iron did swim. Listen, I love this miracle. After asking, where did it fall? Elisha goes to a tree and he cuts down a stick. And then he takes that stick and he walks up to the young man and he beats him up with it. Uh, no, no, he didn't really. I'm just making sure you were, you're listening and I, I knew you weren't. Okay, so he takes that stick and he throws it in the water. I mean, this isn't supposed to work this way. This, it's not, this, isn't, this isn't one of those, you know, Pinterest hacks. If you lose your axe head in the pond, you know, you know, take a stick and just throw it in there and it'll come right up to the surface every time. You know, Pinterest has the answer for everything. This wasn't on Pinterest. 
You know, we might think, what is going on? I want you to lock in, because this is really important. What's going on is this, is that the Lord prompts Elisha to do something unexpected. Nobody had ever seen this trick before. This was new, and there's no reason to think it would work, because sticks don't help iron float. But that's the point. See, if you're going to regain your spiritual edge, you don't have the answers for it. If you're going to regain what you've lost, you can't come up with some magic formula that always works for everybody else. No, they could have tried diving for it. They could have rolled up their pant legs and walked in the pond till they found it. But if they had done that, that would have made the point of the text that the text is trying to make. When the iron swam, that strange and out-of-the-box method that actually worked, when the iron swam, the, the, the point was that the Lord made it happen. It was a miracle that only God could have done. And if the sons of the prophets had figured this out, then it wouldn't be all that much of a miracle. And, that, and God would have been left out of the process. Instead, the Lord does the miracle in such a way that no one could have gotten credit for it except for God himself. And the point is this, that only the Lord can sharpen your edge again. Only the Lord can restore what you've lost. You can't make this happen with more effort. You can't make it happen by chopping, by chopping harder. You won't regain your spiritual edge by getting busier at church. You won't regain your spiritual edge if you've lost it just by getting involved in more soul winning. Uh, you, you won't regain your spiritual edge if you're trying to come up with the solutions on your own. That's not how it, it works. See, according to this text, your ability to serve God is not dependent on your strength and your effort. It's depending on, dependent on His grace and power. We get so busy chopping wood that we forget everything we do is to be done in the spirit and power of God not the effort and will of Jason Jett. And yet we get so busy chopping. And we're chopping away, and we're chopping away, and we don't even realize God's been left out of the process. We wake up in the morning with no time to pray because we're too busy and we have too much to do. We get up with no time to read God's word and feed ourselves, so we go out and we do the work of, of, of our jobs and, and we chop wood. And maybe Saturdays we, we visit and, and we, on Sundays we teach and we minister and we chop wood and we chop and we chop and we chop without realizing that the head of the axe has flown off a long time ago and our arms are tired and we're chopping away, but there's really nothing happening to the tree. There's no progress being made. We chop and chop and chop, but nothing comes down. And listen, it is possible to be busy for God and produce nothing for God. It is possible to be busy for God and produce nothing for God. And it's time to get the axe head back. But how? You say, I, don't, I just don't know if it's possible. I've been chopping and I've been chopping for so long and it's been so long since I've had it and it's been so long since I felt that God's presence was, was real and there and with me. It's been so long since I had his power when I was trying to do his work. Now listen, here's the big point of the story that I don't want you to miss. I know it's been a long time. I know it feels impossible. But listen, if iron can swim... 
you can get your axe head back. That's the point of this passage that God wants to make is if iron can swim, then it's not too late to get your spiritual edge back. If God can do that with an axe head, then he can restore your spiritual edge. He can get you back to where you need to be. It doesn't matter how long you've been gone. Uh, It doesn't matter how bad you've done. It doesn't matter the mistakes you've made. If iron can swim, God can give you his strength again. If iron can swim, then God can overcome your failures. If iron can swim, the Lord can forgive you and restore you and bring you back to where you need to be. And he can fill you with his power and his enabling grace and all, everything you need to get done for God. God can provide it if iron can swim. And you have to believe that. You have to believe that it's not about you and it's not about your resolve and it's not about your effort and it's not about your answers. It's about God and his mercy and his enabling grace and power. And look, though, at the last command Elisha gives the young man. Verse 7. Therefore said he, take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and took it. Listen, the one act that you're responsible for in getting your edge back is you have to reach out and accept it. You say, well, that just sounds way too simple. Well, honestly, it's a lot like salvation, isn't it? You know, the book of Colossians says, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord... So walk ye in him. Meaning as simple as it was for you to receive salvation by faith with nothing of your works and nothing you could get credit for, that's how you're supposed to be living your Christian life. But see, as Christians, we learn how to dress and we learn how to speak and we learn what to do and what not to do and we start to depend on those things instead of the grace that God provided in salvation, which is the same in power that we're supposed to live our Christian lives with. But we, we replace God's power with our own and we're suddenly chopping down trees or trying to and there's no axe head. Church member, God's not impressed with your chopping if you're doing it without his power. And if you don't teach your class, listen, I know they're just second graders or kindergartners or three-year-olds, but listen, if you don't teach your class with the power of God and in complete dependence on God for his help, you are just hitting a tree with an axe handle. Going through the motions, but no lasting work is being accomplished. If you're passing out tracks and you're doing the work and everyone's impressed with the work that you're doing and you're passing out more tracks than anybody else, but you're doing, out, doing it without the axe head and without God's power and without, without that spiritual enabling in your life, you're chopping at that tree and you're not leaving a dent and you're not making a mark in eternity. Anything that you're trying to do without God, you can't do for God. Listen, you can't do anything for God without God. And if I want you to take a statement away from this message, that's it. You can't do anything for God without God. You can't can't teach your class. You can't sing in the choir. You can't play the piano. You You can't sing a special. You can't invite somebody to church. You can't even sit here in this service tonight and have it mean much of anything if you're going through the motions without God's help every day. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. This young man reached out his hand because he knew without God's help, 
he was in big, big trouble. And maybe tonight, some of God's people need to come to the end of themselves and hold out their hand and say, God, I'm tired. I'm weary. There's a lot of motion, but there's no progress. There's a lot of activity, but there's not much spirituality. And I feel like I'm on a spiritual treadmill. I need my axe head back, God. I need it sharpened again. I'm tired of trying to do this without you because I can't. And do what only you can do, God. My hands are reaching out. And God, as a dad, I go home and I try to lead my family, but I'm doing it without your help. And I'm telling you, I'm overwhelmed because I don't know what I'm supposed to do and I don't feel like I have anything to offer my wife or my kids because I'm trying to do this without an ax head. And moms, every day you homeschool your kids and, and, and you've been neglecting your own time with God and yet you're now turning around and trying to teach those kids every day and your well is running dry because there's no ax head on the end of your handle. And you're at work and you're sitting next to somebody at work and they don't love the Lord and they're not saved and they have a bad attitude about you and about Christ and you think, boy, I'm coming to the end of myself. If I have to go one more day and hear what they have to say, I might just lose it on them. And because you're trying in your own strength without an ax head on the end of the handle to do what God says, no, you can't do that without me. Without me, you can do nothing. I'm just telling you, there's nothing in life that you can do without God if you want to produce anything that lasts for God. There were two woodcutters named Peter and John. And they, they worked around each other up in the forest and every day they would banter. And they would say, I could cut more wood than you. And Peter would say that and John would say, I could cut more wood than you. And they go back and forth and talk about who could actually cut more wood. And so one day they said, okay, today's the day. We're going to have a contest today. And today we're going to find out who actually can cut more wood. So, so Peter goes to his place and John goes to his place. And, and John's chopping away and Peter's chopping away. And John is chopping. I'm telling you, John is chopping for, I mean, he's, he's furiously going after it. He's chopping. By the way, I don't have an accent on here because I didn't want that actually to happen tonight, what happened in our story. So, so he's chopping away. Chopping, chopping, chopping. And after 45 minutes, he hears Peter stop for a minute. And he's like, oh man, I still got some energy. <laughs> I'm going to use this time that he's, that he's over there stopped. I'm going to keep on going. So he keeps on chopping and chopping and chopping. And he hears Peter pick up his axe again and, and, and get to work again. And he says, okay, I'm 15 minutes ahead. Well, another hour later, Peter does the same thing. And he drops his axe and does something. And John's like, what's happening? I mean, he's losing time. So he keeps chopping and chopping. And, and, and 15 minutes later, he hears Peter pick up his axe again and start chopping wood. And all day this goes on. And, I mean, after four or five hours, I mean, uh, John's arms are getting tired, but he hears Peter stop again, and he says, okay, you know what, he's stopped again. I've got to be like an hour or two hours ahead of this guy at this point. And, and he says, uh, that was motivation for me, and so I'm just going to keep on chopping. By the end of the day, Peter's feeling pretty good. 
You know, he, Peter is, is like, man, I, I've got this. So they meet up and they compare piles. Not piles, piles. And I don't even remember whose name I was using, but let's just say Peter was the one that kept chopping. And he looks at his pile, he looks over at John's pile, he says, John, your pile's way bigger than mine. I mean, how did that happen? I'm confused because, I mean, every hour or so you would stop for 15 minutes. And I went all day. How'd you chop more wood? And John says, well, you know, every hour I would stop and for 15 minutes I'd sharpen my axe. And so after every hour, take 15 minutes and then get back to work. And man, I got like a fresh blade. Because I took the time to sharpen it. Listen, I heard somebody say one time, that time spent sharpening is time saved cutting. And I think far too many of us are chopping away. And we forgot that you got to stop. And you've got to sharpen your blade if you want to keep that axe moving and effective. And that means that instead of being so busy chopping wood, you know, sometimes it's all the time. We got to stop and we got to communicate with God. We got to get on our knees and we've got to pray and speak to him and take in his word and listen and seek God every day. I mean, every morning, every night, whenever it is that you do it, because if you don't do it, you're going to chop and chop and chop, and you think you're making progress, and then someday you're going to find out, I was busy, but I was producing nothing for God. Listen, it doesn't matter how hard we chop or how busy we stay or how active we are or how smiley we look, because without that axe head, we are simply beating a handle against a tree. All kinds of motion and no progress. So I'm asking you tonight, how's your spiritual edge? Is it dull? Have you lost it? When's the last time God moved in your life or spoke through his word to you? In what area of your spiritual life have you lost your edge? Have you consistently been stopping to sharpen your blade? Don't just depend on human activity to get it back. Go to the source of supernatural work, which is God himself. And the Bible says, hold out your hand. And depend on his empowering grace to help you find it again. You can't do anything for God without God. Forget it. But on the flip side, this story should remind you that anything is possible with God. It doesn't matter how long you've been chopping without, with no progress. It doesn't matter how much you've failed or how long you've left God out of the process. If you're still here, it's possible to get the edge back. He wants you to have it back. He wants you to be spiritual. He wants you to be zealous. He wants you to be excited again. He wants this life to be abundant for you. 
He wants you to have joy and contentment and rest and peace and energy. You know what he wants? He wants to see your acts moving, but he also wants to see trees falling down. And maybe it's time for us to come to the end of ourselves and hold out our hands and say, God, I'm tired of doing it my way. I've proven that doesn't do anything. Lord, I come and depend on you tonight to restore that edge that I've lost. Would you submit yourself to him tonight? Would you be willing to come to him and say, I've tried in my strength and nothing has been produced. And God, I, I confess that. And I beg you with your help and your grace from this point forward, I'm only doing this in your strength because I want to do something for you that lasts. Let's stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Have you lost your spiritual edge? Where'd you lose it? Maybe it's time to go back and find it again. And you're weary and you're tired and you're fatigued and you don't have strength and you're, you come to the end of yourself and you're like, man, I don't have anything left. God, I can't do this without you. Well, it's time to stop trying to do it without God. You can't do anything for God without God. Tonight's the night to get some things right and get that spiritual edge back. Father, I pray that you'd use this service tonight to help bring us back. We need a revival in terms of our dependence on your power. God, I beg you, to use this message, this truth, the Holy Spirit illuminating it to bring your people back to where they need to be. God, help us to have our edge back. Help us to find the ax head that's been lost and move forward with your help if we want to see any progress made for you, God. I don't want to personally live my life and look back and say, boy, I wasted that. Help us, Lord, tonight to be moved to action. In Jesus' name, amen. As the piano plays, why don't you do business with God? Don't delay. Don't delay. Take a step out and come and pray with somebody or get on your knees here and, and do real business with God. As Brother Nathan, as you sing, the altars are open.